0: I'd like to ask you to take your Bible this morning to the ninth chapter of the book of Daniel. This fall, the elders and uh, I have been praying together and, and talking together about where our congregation really would receive benefit and help in the scriptures after our series this summer on worship. And so as we kind of made our way through the summer and talked together, uh, we, we came to the conclusion together that our congregation would benefit greatly and our lives personally from going through the book of Daniel. And so I'm beginning our fall series in the book of Daniel, and there are a number of reasons I believe the counsel that the elders have come to is wise, and I want to give you just a few of them as you open your Bible to the ninth chapter. We live in uncertain times, much like the ones that Daniel found himself in. Uh, And like Daniel, we need to learn how to live confidently for God in the face of an uncertain future. I, I don't like listening to the news anymore. When I get in my car, I used to always try to have a little news station on or some talk station, and I'd come home and I'd turn on the television and... I had all these feeds, and some of you do that. Some of you have your favorite talk show or your favorite podcast, and uh, and there's nothing wrong with keeping up with the times. But for me, it was very, very uh, disconcerting. And so I decided I needed to take a break, and I needed to create a space in my life for worship. And, uh, and that's really how the summer series affected me. So we live in uncertain times, like those that Daniel and his friends lived in And like them, we must learn to live confidently for God in the face of all of this uncertainty. Here's the second reason I think their counsel was wise. We live in a secular and immoral culture that has invaded the church. It's not invading the church. It's already invaded the church and has infected our lives. And like Daniel, we must speak truth boldly and we must stand for righteousness courageously. And we learn this from Daniel's book. We live in spiritually dark times. <clears throat> Wouldn't you agree with that? And as the darkness deepens, like Daniel, we must display through our lives the beauty of the gospel by living graciously and faithfully. And then finally, I, I think I would agree with this. We live in desperate and confusing times. I, I don't know what to make of what's happening. I, I don't. I, I see all of these problems. I, I see all that's going on. And when I sit down and try to Take a few minutes to think through, I don't know what the solutions are. I know what the theological solution is, but I don't know sometimes what to do. And I I think there are many of you who are like me. We live in desperate and confusing times, and like Daniel, we must strive to live humble, prayerful, and Bible-shaped lives. And so for all of those reasons, I think the elders were right in calling our church to study the book of Daniel together. And as I got into the book and began really uh, sort of accumulating the resources I would use and starting to read through the things that would begin to formulate and help shape my thinking about this book uh, so that this book could do a work in my heart before it does a work in any of the rest of us, I have become very impacted by three things about Daniel. I've been impacted by his genuine humility. Daniel was a humble man. And it's all through his book. It's evident in his speech through Nebuchadnezzar in chapter uh, 2 when Nebuchadnezzar says to him, "I, I heard that you can give an interpretation to the dream that nobody else in my kingdom can have. Perfect opportunity for Daniel to build his brand. Perfect opportunity for Daniel to move forward above everybody else by simply saying, well, king, you heard right. But he says, no. King, you heard wrong. I can't do this. But there is a God in heaven who can. This man was amazingly, genuinely humble. He was remarkably gracious in the way he lived. In chapter 4, he had to serve a pagan king with very, very hard truth. King, here is what is going to happen to you. God gave you a warning, and you didn't listen to the warning. And instead of humbling yourself, you actually grew higher in your pride. And because of that, I hate to tell you what's about to happen to you. I I, I, look, I don't want this to be to you. I want it to be to your enemies. But here's what's going to happen to you. And he reveals this really hard thing that God is determined to do to Nebuchadnezzar to humble him. And at the very end of all of that, he comes to the king and he says, Can I just appeal to you, O king? It's not too late. Would you repent? This is an incredibly gracious man. In chapter 2, verse 24, he has the perfect opportunity after he uh, delivers the dream and its interpretation to say, well, okay, spare me and my buddies, but go ahead and kill the rest of the wise men because actually they're against me and King, they're against you. But he doesn't. He includes them in the appeal uh, to spare the life of all of the wise men in the kingdom. He was an, a remarkably gracious man. And he loved God fervently in public as well and in, as in private. His obedient love for God was what drove him, and it is all through the book. You could say it this way, and we'll come back to this as we kind of take a look uh, as we get into the book at Daniel's life. This was a man who had courageous faith. He had bold words, and he had a gracious life. And his courageous faith and the bold words that came out of that faith and the graciousness of his life were enabled by two realities that Daniel was convinced of. And the whole book is divided up into these two realities. The first seven chapters of the book are there to help us understand something that Daniel believed. He anchored everything about Himself to this reality. God rules. There is a God in heaven and He rules. It doesn't matter what's happening in Israel. It doesn't matter what's happening in Babylon. It doesn't matter what's going on with the magicians. It doesn't matter What is happening to us as this little group of loyal people who love God and who want to do well here in Babylon? It doesn't matter what is happening. There is a God in heaven who rules. And the first seven chapters of the book are all about establishing that fact. And you know what? You and I need to know that. We live in those same kind of uncertain times. We, we face the same kind of immoral culture. We have no answers at time for the desperate confusion that we find ourselves in. And the spiritual darkness grows and deepens all around us. And it's easy for God's people to get overwhelmed. And Daniel says to you, I learned something. And I wrote it down for you in seven chapters. And if you will anchor yourself to this, no matter what comes your way, you will stand. You will have courageous faith. You will have bold words and you'll have a gracious life if you understand that God rules. And there is a kingdom that matters more than anything on earth. There's a kingdom that matters more than the little tiny nation of Israel. There is a kingdom that matters more than the mighty kingdom of Israel of Nebuchadnezzar. There is a kingdom that matters more than the kingdoms to follow, the kingdoms of Persia and Greece and Rome and all of the other kingdoms. There is a kingdom that matters more. And Daniel 7-12 through is the story of that kingdom. And so if you want to sum the book of Daniel up in one phrase, God rules and His kingdom matters more. And Daniel built his life on that. Now, I've asked you to turn to Daniel 9, because one of the things we're going to find out about Daniel that really comes out of a life of courageous faith and bold words and grace-enabled, gracious living is this. He prayed. He prayed. Three times in the book, Daniel prayed. And it's very evident that when you look at this man's life, this this was not just a casual thing that he did, and it wasn't just something reserved for those moments in his life where nothing else could resolve or be resolved in. And so this was sort of like the last-ditch desperate effort. Daniel was a man whose life was marked by faith. He was a man whose life was marked by boldness, He was a man whose life was marked by courage and grace. And all of that happened because he was a man who spent much time on his knees. And what I want to do this morning is I want to look at his prayer, and then I want to compare that prayer to the prayer that Jesus taught the disciples to pray, and that he prayed himself. And so that's very simply what we're going to do. What do we do when we come to a prayer like Daniel's, everything that Daniel longed for had been shaken. The kingdom that he grew up in as a boy had been brought into captivity. The temple that he had worshipped in had been raised to the ground. And so what does a righteous man do when the foundations of his world have been destroyed? And I think we see here that he prays. And Daniel prayed for mercy and understanding about God's kingdom. Look at verse 1 and see the context of the prayer. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In other words, Daniel had lived most of his life in Babylon. He had risen high in the Babylonian system, political system. He had already served under Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had a son, And then he had another son or a grandson, Belshazzar, and Daniel had served faithfully in all of those reigns, at least three kings in Babylon. And now as an old man, he has a new kingdom that has come, the kingdom of Persia, and a new ruler, the ruler Darius. But he's been reading something. He has been reading the book of Jeremiah. And he has been longing for something. He's been longing for God to restore his glory and to restore his name and to redeem his people from their troubles. And so he begins to labor. Look at verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So, these 70 years have passed. We're about to have passed. And then in verse 3, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God, and I made my confession. And then look down at verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord, my God, for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer. So by the time we get to verse 20, front end, back end of the prayer, Daniel says repeatedly, and he wants us to understand for emphasis, he was praying fervently, faithfully, hopefully. And two things happened or 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 one thing happens with with two ramifications god sends an angel to him god sends gabriel and gabriel has two things to say to daniel daniel you are greatly loved i know all that's gone on i understand all the turmoil all the confusion all the desperation you've lived in the midst of all of this pagan iniquity and immorality, and I want you to know something. God sent me here to tell you something. You are greatly loved. You know, one of the things I think God wants us to hear from the book of Daniel in our own lives is that message. He's not going to send an angel down from heaven to tell us that, but he did send his son. And I think if Daniel were to stand here and actually kind of let me stand aside. And Daniel could stand there and talk to us today. This is one of the things he would say to us. You are greatly loved. God loves you. And then Daniel, the second thing that I'm supposed to tell you is this. Not only are you greatly loved, your prayers are being heard and God is answering them. Your prayers are being heard and God is answering them. Look at verse 23. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy... A word went out. Where did it come from? We're going to find out later in the book that that word came from the throne of heaven, from the one seated on the throne. A word went out, and I have come to tell it to you. And the reason I've come to tell it to you is that you are greatly loved. Daniel, two things you need to know as I'm standing here. As the representative, of the one on the throne of heaven, you are loved by him, and he is hearing and answering your prayers. And some of us need to know that this morning. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what's going on in your life or what you've been through in the last six days. But some of us desperately need to be reminded of these two things. God loves you. God loves you. And the reason we need to be reminded of that is the very reason that Daniel needed to be reminded of it because for 70 years, he had been living in a nation that had been taken into captivity and that, and, the, and that nation was still captive, and the vessels of the temple were still being abused by the politics and the politicians of Babylon, and it didn't seem that God was doing anything about it. And God said to Daniel, I want you to know something. I haven't forgotten them, and I haven't forgotten you. I love you. And here's my angel Gabriel to bring that message to you. And Daniel, your prayers are being heard. So, what does a man like Daniel prayed for and what does his prayer look like? Well, let me show you quickly here in Daniel chapter 9 as he prays for mercy and understanding what his prayer looked like. Notice in verse 1 and 2, it was shaped by Scripture. Daniel prayed out of Scripture. It was shaped by Jeremiah's words that he had been reading. We saw that as we read verses 1 and 2 together. But look down at verses 11 through 13. Because it's not just Jeremiah that Daniel is is praying out of, it's also Moses. Look at verse 13. As it is written in the law of Moses, all of this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. God, not only have we not reached what Jeremiah said was coming, We haven't lived up to what Moses said was supposed to happen. And so his prayer was shaped by Scripture. It was grounded on God's character. Shaped by Scripture. Grounded on God's character. Notice verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession. And here's the first thing he says. Oh Lord, the great and awesome God. He talks about God's unmatched glory who keeps covenant and steadfast love. His unfailing love. Daniel says, look, I'm not just going to shape my prayer by Scripture. It's going to be based on God's character and His past faithfulness. In verse 13, he speaks about gaining insight from God's truth, God's truthfulness and reliability. And then in verses 7 and 16, His unimpeachable righteousness. Look at verse 7. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done. In Daniel 9.15, he talks about God's unstoppable power and his redeeming might. He says this, you brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and you have made a name for yourself. And then in verse 9, he talks about God's kindness, his never-ending mercy. To our Lord belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him. So Daniel's prayer was shaped by Scripture. It was grounded in the character of God, and it was marked by humility and confession. Look at verse 4 of this prayer. I prayed to the Lord my God and made my confession. Daniel is going to humbly include himself Daniel, the righteous man. God said to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, there are three righteous people on the planet, and if all of these people were living at the same time, and they prayed, it still wouldn't avail to save the nation. They would only save themselves for their own righteousness. And one of those righteous people that God names is Daniel. But here he is, and he's humble enough to include himself in this confession. We have sinned. We have done wrong. We have acted wickedly. We have rebelled so shaped by scripture it's based on god's character and it is humble and contrite and it's desirous of forgiveness and desperate for mercy look at verse 17 listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy look at verse 18 oh god incline your ear and hear drop down just a little more for we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness but because of your great mercy. And in verse 19, oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Have you ever prayed like that? I mean, I know sometimes we pray that way for ourselves, but have you ever prayed that way for God's people? Have you ever prayed that way for our nation? And in verse 19, we find the heart of the prayer. He's not longing for Israel or for himself. He's longing for something about God. Listen to how he says this. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, pay attention and act. Do not delay for your own sake, O oh God, because of your city and your people that are called by your name. The reason God... Or the reason, rather, Daniel wanted God to act was not merely to forgive Israel for her immense treachery or to relieve Israel from her misery so that she could be restored to her former glory. Kind of put it in our own terms, Daniel wasn't just praying for God to make Israel great again. He was praying for something much bigger. He was praying for the honor of God's name He was praying for the establishment of God's authority, and he was praying for God's will to be done for the sake of God's great name. Let me ask you a question. When you pray like Daniel prayed, and you pray for yourself, or you pray for your country, what's really motivating that prayer? God, I really want you to fix this thing in my life, and I'm going to confess, and and I acknowledge my part in it. I I know that I'm here because I didn't listen to Your Word. I know that I'm here because I violated uh, Your covenant. I, I know all of that, and I am confessing that. I feel terrible about that, and I want You to forgive my sins, and I want You to restore me to favor, and I want You to relieve me from all this misery." And in the back of our mind, we're not consciously thinking about this, but if somebody walked over to us and sort of unpacked that prayer and said, okay, so why do you really want God to fix this? At the end of the day, you and I might come back, but really honest, this is something I'll leave this because we're miserable. And I'm sick and tired of being miserable. I am so miserable in this circumstance. I am so miserable in this mess And yes, I created the mess, and I deserve the misery, but I am sick of being miserable. And I want you to fix it, God. So if you're asking me why I want all of this to be resolved, I want this to be resolved because I am tired of being the object of God's discipline. I am tired of being in a position where nothing works because I'm resisting God. I remember listening to the book of James and I really listened in and zoned in that God opposes the proud and I've been proud and God has been opposing me. I can see it in my marriage. I can see it with my kids. I can see it at work. I can see it in all these ways. And I am sick and tired of living like this and I want to get right so that I can get relief. And I want you to know something. When we come over and listen to Daniel pray at the very end of his prayer, that's not why he's praying. That's not why he's praying. Why do you pray for America? Why do you pray for this country? And what do you pray for when you pray for this country? I mean, we're told to pray for our leaders, are we not? Paul says that really clearly. Pray for those that have authority over you. We're supposed to pray for kings. We're supposed to pray for our pol- uh, political leaders. Well, what, what, what are we actually praying for when you sit down and you remember to pray for the country that we have been a part of and are a part of? What do we pray for? We pray for a certain political party to go out of favor. We pray for a certain politician to be elected. Why? We pray for certain Supreme Court uh, judges to make certain decisions and we we do all these things. Why? Because we want the economy to be better and we want prayer back in the schools and we want all of these things. Why do we want that? At the end of the day, we want that because if we can finally get our nation cleaned up enough, maybe God will bless it. And if God blesses it, the economy will be better. If God blesses it, life will be better, and it won't be so miserable for me. Now, I'm not suggesting you're doing that. I am suggesting that a lot of what we're hearing out of certain quarters is based on that kind of thinking. And if you listen to Daniel, Daniel is praying for a whole different reason. He is saying, God, I'm wanting you to act on behalf of your people however you desire to act whenever you desire to act, for the sake of your name. For the sake of your glory. So let me ask you a question as you listen to Daniel pray. Where did he learn to pray like that? And more importantly, where can I learn to pray like that? And for that, we have to go to a New Testament text. It's very familiar. We need to go over to Matthew chapter 6 and we need to listen in to the Lord teach people like Daniel how to pray. It's not enough to just listen to Daniel and and observe the prayer. We actually need somebody to teach us how to pray like Daniel prayed. Gabriel was sent to Daniel to say to Daniel two things. God loves you, and God is hearing your prayers. And I want God to hear my prayers, so who can teach me how to pray like that? And you know this. This text in in Matthew chapter 6, we call it the disciples' prayer. It's often called the Lord's Prayer. But it's actually the prayer that God taught His disciples to pray. And at the heart of this prayer is His kingdom. There are priorities that govern this kind of praying. Before we get to the priorities, let me observe something with you that's so precious in this text. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus said to His disciples, When you pray, pray like this, Our Father. That's stunning. There's no question that the second member of the Trinity, the Son of God, has this incredible relationship with the first member of the Trinity who's sitting on the throne and he's looking at the disciples and he is saying, he didn't say this, pray to my Father. He is saying, pray to our Father. There's an incredible truth there that's worth mining out. For another day. And when we come into the presence of our Father and we talk to Him, what are the priorities that should govern our conversation with Him? How should we pray? Jesus said, Well, when you come to talk to our Father, pray for the exaltation of His person. How's that first petition go? Hallowed be your name. The word name there is a reference to God's character God's person who he is and what he is like and, and and Jesus is saying listen when you pray the main thing that God is interested in and that you should be interested in is not that everything would work well in your life but that his person would be exalted that he would be glorified there's a really simple way of understanding what it means to glorify God and, and I learned this many years ago, so it's not original with me, but let me give it to you. Glorifying God simply means this living in such a way that other people come to right conclusions about God, who He is, and what He's like. Living in such a way that other people come to right conclusions about God. Paul said it this way whether you eat or drink, in all of the everyday affairs that are necessary to stay alive, whether you eat or drink, Do all to what? The glory of God. Everything you do in the kingdom of Babylon is to be done so that the people who live in that kingdom, who live in all of that confusion, who are marked by all of that immorality, who have all of that darkness around them, every one of them as they run into you and as they observe your life and they experience your gracious life, and your bold words, and they see your courageous faith, they would come to write opinions about who God is and what He's like. And then Jesus said, once you have articulated that as a priority in your prayer, God wants His kingdom, His authority to be established. Your kingdom come. And and what's astonishing as Daniel is praying for the kingdom of Israel in chapter 9, God lifts up his eyes, brings him into the throne room of heaven and says to Daniel, don't worry about that little kingdom. There is a much bigger kingdom going on here. And it is an eternal kingdom. And it is a kingdom that will have no end. And it is a kingdom that nobody will overcome. Here are all of these political... uh, uh, People that are going to rise up with great power and great pomp. Here are demonic creatures that are going to come against that kingdom. And I want you to know something, Daniel. There is a great kingdom that is going to be established. And you need to be praying for that kingdom to come. Jesus looked at his disciples as he taught them this prayer. And he said to them, I want you to know something. It is your father's good pleasure to give you that kingdom. Daniel could live courageously and boldly and graciously and joyfully because he hadn't lost anything in the little kingdom. He had gained everything with the kingdom that will never be moved. And you are a part of that kingdom. Pray for the establishment and coming of that kingdom and then pray for the doing of God's wills and His plans. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus said, now look, when you pray that way, when this becomes the fabric of your life, when this is why you live, this is why you get up in the morning, that that God's name would be known and understood, who He is and what He's like, that His authority would be extended, that His kingdom would grow spiritually in the hearts of men, that His will would be done by the power of the Spirit through the Word. You're going to need resources to do that. You're going to need food. You're going to need daily provision. So ask God for it. You're going to need things to stay alive. And so ask God for your daily bread. There are times when you're going to stumble and, and you're going to trip. And, and and all of the, the words that you're saying about the kingdom are, are, are going to be Mixed up by, by something that you, tra- you, you tripped up over. Some temptation that assailed you. Some trespass that you committed. And so you are going to need to come to God. Not just for daily provision. You're going to need to come to God regularly for pardon. And the way Jesus put it is, you, you need to experience gospel grace each day by asking Him to forgive you when you sin. And granting you the, the, the heart to forgive others who sin against you. Do you realize... It's not just hard to forgive other people. It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible to forgive people that really hurt us. Repeatedly. And I think maybe God designed it that way so we would never take His forgiveness for granted. Because we come to Him with all kinds of things we want Him to forgive. And it's like, God, please forgive me. Thank you for doing it. And we walk away as though it were easy for God to do. And God says, I don't ever want you to forget the magnitude of what just happened to you when I forgave you. So here's what I want you to do. That person over there, did you wrong? Yeah. I want you to go forgive him. What? I can't do that. And all of a sudden, we run up on the immense difficulty that we have to grant forgiveness to others. And we're never going to be able to do it apart from God granting us that ability to do And then we're to pray for protection because when you live this way in Babylon, you are going to be opposed. When you open up the book of Daniel and you observe the life of Daniel for six chapters, you begin to realize there was remarkable protection and remarkable preservation of this man and his friends, and they needed that protection and that, and that preservation because of all of the attacks that were coming against them on a human level. But it's not till you get to chapters 7 through 12 that you find out that all of that human opposition was actually being driven at a much higher level. And you get this window into a world that every bit, that is as every bit as real as our world. We just don't ever see it. Gabriel says, now, now Daniel, the reason I'm late, you prayed three weeks ago, and the reason I'm just getting here is that I was opposed and you get a little window in to a war that's going on between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness and that's why Jesus said you need to pray that your father would not lead you he would not the road would not take you into suffering or temptation but when it does pray this is what Jesus did on the last night of his earthly life when he was looking at this incredible suffering that was coming upon him, he said, Lord, if there's any other way. But if not, protect protect us from the evil one. And the reason that we can pray this way is because somebody else is praying for us. And that's the, the final thing I want us to look at and the final prayer that we're going to look at this morning. Daniel prayed. The disciples prayed, and then Jesus prayed. In John 17, Jesus prays. So, if you have a Bible, let me have you turn to John 17 and look at verse nine. I mean, it's like we're listening into a sacred conversation between Jesus and His Father. There are a lot of times in the Gospels where the Gospel writers say, "Now Jesus went away and prayed," or when he broke, when he had given thanks, he broke bread. And so, we have all of these reminders of the fact that Jesus prayed. But there are very few places where we actually get to listen in to a conversation. And John 17 is the longest of those conversations. And look at verse 9. Jesus says to His Father, I am praying for them. And the them are His people. His own. The people to whom, in verse 6, He has manifested God's name. People that God has given Him out of the world. Yours they were, You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. And they know that everything that you have given me is from you, and I have given them the words that you have given me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I have come from you. These are people who know Jesus. They are his own. And the reason he prays for them is in verses 10 through 14. Verse 10. All mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. In other words, God, you sent me into the world to glorify you. And so I have caused people to know who you are and what you're like. And you have given me people to go into the world so that the world can know what I'm like. Just like I glorified you and caused the entire world to know who you are and what you're like, These people are people you gave me and they're going to be sent into that world to cause other people to know who I am and what I'm like. And that's why I'm praying for them. They are in the world in my stead. Verse 11. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And the world hates them just like it hated me. Verse 14. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. And I am sending them into that world for the same reason you sent me into the world. Look at verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. God, you sent me into the world on a mission. Part of that mission was to glorify you, to cause the entire world to know who you are and what you're like. That was part of the mission. And the other part of the mission was to redeem the world. And I am sending the people you gave me into that very same world with that same mission. They are to cause the world to know who I am and what I am like, and they are to announce with authority the redemption I have accomplished. And the world is going to hate them just like it hated me. And so that's why Jesus prays very specific things for these people. Look at verses 13 and following. He prays that they would have joy in verse 13. In verse 15, that they would be protected. Keep them from the evil one. In verse 17, that they would be perfected. Look, look at how he praises. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. He prays for their unity, that they would be unified. Look at verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. And then in verse 24 that they would be with Jesus to see the immense love that God has for them. Verse 24, I desire that they also whom you gave gave me may be with me to see my glory. There's one big idea that Jesus is after. It's in verse 23, so that the world may know God, I'm praying this for these people that you gave me, all of these disciples, all of these Daniels, because I'm sending them into the same world that you sent me into for the same reason. Just like you sent me to glorify you and to cause that world to know who you are and what you're like, I'm sending them into that same world, into the kingdoms of Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome and all of the kingdoms of the world so that they may cause the world to see who I am and what I'm like and why. and here's the, big, here's the big thing. I want the world to know that you sent me. And I want the world to know that you love them. That you love them like you love me. Daniel, I've been sent to you because you are greatly loved. Jesus, I want you to know as you go into the world. I want the world to know something about you. I want the world to know that God loves you just like he loves me. You are greatly loved, and your prayers have been heard. And You know why your prayers are heard? They're not heard just because you're righteous and humble and gracious and bold. They're heard for an even bigger reason. They're heard because somebody is praying for you. While you pray... For the world around you, there's somebody praying for you, and his name is Jesus. You say, well, I'm not sure that I qualify, Pastor, for that kind of praying because I'm not a Daniel. I mean, you talk about courageous faith. My faith is pretty much gone. I mean, really, it's almost gone. You talk about bold words. I have been bold for a long time. My whole life is eaten up by fear and frustration. Gracious life. I miss everything I can just to hold on to the gospel. I'm not there's nothing gracious in my life. In the book of Luke, there's there's a text. Jesus looks <clears throat> at one of his Daniels, a modern-day Daniel named Peter, and he says, Peter, Satan has demanded something. Last time we see Satan demanding anything is in the book of Job. Satan has demanded something. He has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Satan wants to destroy your faith. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Wow. You talk about New Testament reference to deconstruction, that's it. Here is Peter, and Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, you need to know something. There is an evil one, and he has come to the throne of heaven and he's demanded something. And the thing that he's demanded is you. And what he wants to do with you is ruin your faith. But I pray for you. Peter said to him, Lord, listen to the confident words of Peter. I am ready. Lord, if, if this is really going on in heaven, bring it. I mean, I am ready. I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus is so gracious to Peter, isn't he? I mean, listen to how Jesus talks to Peter. He says, Peter, I tell you, the rooster will not grow this day until you deny me three times. But he doesn't leave Peter there, does he? He says, now, Peter, when you have turned again, Strengthen your brothers. And you know the story. I mean, everything happened just like Jesus said it would happen, in spite of Peter's bold statement and his, you know, false courage. I, I'm, this is, I mean, God, this is the way it's going to be. And you, you know, Satan do his worst, and I'm going to, I'm going to stand. Oh, uh, this isn't going to happen. And, and the rooster crows that morning, and three times he's already denied him. But you go to the book of John, and at the end of the book of John, there's a fire and a cookout in the morning, and Peter restores, or Jesus restores Peter. And Peter goes on to write two books. And those books are all about suffering and all about hope. And many of our lives have been strengthened by Peter's words. And the reason he repented, and the reason he wrote those books is because And I want you to know, there is someone in heaven right now who's praying for you. And there's only one time in all of the universe's existence when that person got a no from the one on the throne. And that was when he prayed for another, for a cup to pass. When this person, Jesus, prays, his father hears and answers, and he is praying for you. And when the one who rules and whose kingdom matters more hears this man pray, he always answers. I don't know what's going to happen in my life or years in the next seven days. But but I do know this. God rules. And his kingdom matters more. And somebody is praying for us. And we can rejoice. So let's thank God for that this morning. Father, thank you for a good start to this book. We pray that as Daniel prayed, our prayers would be shaped by the Scriptures and would be bound to your character and would be humble and contrite and hope-filled and faith-filled as we pray for your kingdom and your glory and not our own. We learn to pray that way from your son who taught us to pray. That your kingdom would come, that your name would be exalted, and that your will would be done in our lives. We pray that. But even more than that, we are so blessed to know that we are loved and we are prayed for by your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we thank you for this, and it's in his name we pray, amen.